0: podcast people welcome to the podcast frontier faith a podcast where it's okay not to know not to know what you believe or why you believe it it's okay to change what you believe and you know think even more about why you might do so it's okay to keep some things the same too basically there's freedom here with us whether you're listening or if you've participated in the past a lot of us grew up in places especially theologically speaking, where there wasn't much freedom to explore, we were told what to believe, and that if we didn't, our faith was suspect, or that God was upset with us, and that was never true, but it's certainly not true here, so I'm glad you're here with us. My name is Ryan Harris. Nate's off again this week. Something came up for him, and he wasn't able to make it. So we were going to do a discussion kind of concerning Thanksgiving, and specifically, Uh, not just the, you know, oh, we should be thankful stuff, though we should, and that's true and fair, but we're going to talk about how we tend to ignore some of the, well, all of the much more difficult and problematic aspects of the holiday and and its history. But I think we're going to save that and do that a little later for when both of us are able to be here for it. Um, I think it will just be better that way. So it will be a little out of um, sequence in terms of the calendar, but that's okay. Um, we will still do that at some point. So you're stuck with me again this week, just me by myself. Um, when it came to you know me deciding what I should talk about today, um, I wanted to just offer a few thoughts that I had. Some that I learned in school, some that I have from my own experience, and some from. You know various podcasts I've listened to and uh, research that I've done, books or commentaries, that sort of thing. And if you've listened to me talk on this podcast before, you know that I come from a very Pentecostal background, and and I talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. And I've probably mentioned before, but I'll do it again just in case you haven't heard that, or just as a refresher that um, one of, or I guess I should say, the central um, text of the Pentecostal way of looking at things is what you find in Luke Acts. Um, and the book of Acts especially is kind of what I want to talk about today. Not the entire thing, um, because, you know, I, I people have written whole commentaries on it. And I took a whole class on the book of Acts in undergrad, and it was one of the best ones I took. But I want to just kind of offer some various uh, background thoughts on it and maybe some things I've learned about how to read it and hopefully encourage you. Um, to read it more yourself, if you haven't very much, or maybe you have, but just in a in a different way. I was just listening to a podcast today, which kind of helped me decide that this would be a good thing to talk about. And I've learned plenty about it. And yet I got some pretty interesting insights from this person that I wanted to share with you. So um, I will do my best to say when something is mine and when something comes from somebody else um just because i don't want it to you know i don't want to plagiarize or anything but um just some thoughts that might be helpful and um yeah it, it's really up to you what you do with them of course but i think um i think that they can be helpful i acknowledge by the way that i'm not a new testament scholar in the sense that i'm not an exegete or anything but um sometimes i think we can let the fact that we may not know everything about something stop us from engaging with something. And that's not something I want to do. And it's not something that any of us have to do. So you don't have to be a theologian or a scholar to read the Bible. And uh, the book of Acts is no different. In fact, in some ways, I might argue it's easier to approach because it's a lot easier to read than some other things. It has a lot of action. A lot of things take place Um, There's definitely plenty of theology in there, but unlike, say, some of Paul's letters where he will give you a sermon or various sermons, some of them very long lengths where he, you know, goes at length to prove his point or points, um, you'll see that in the book of Acts, but not in the same way. It's written as a narrative for one thing, but it's honestly a very action-packed kind of narrative. A lot of stuff happens. A lot of really important things happen. And it's somewhat, at least I think anyway, somewhat easier to read than other parts of the Bible, simply because, well, it's not boring. It is certainly not boring, and some parts of the Bible are definitely boring. (laughs) So just to get us started, I just want to offer a few thoughts about the background, and then I'll talk about some things um, that I hope can be helpful. So The book of Acts takes place, um, you know, right after the events of the Gospels, somewhere in that time frame. And the first chapter has Jesus talking to the disciples, and then he ascends into heaven. The Spirit shows up in chapter two, and the rest of the book follows different characters and different groups of people, but a lot of it focuses on Peter and Paul. Um, And it talks a lot about how the church began. And that's what I think a lot of us tend to focus on this book is about the founding of the church and the early church, and it definitely is no argument there. Um, you'll see a lot of uh, places where they wrestle over doctrine, where they wrestle over what does it mean to be followers of this new way of Jesus. You know, you have a lot of very Jewish people um, trying to figure out what this means for them in their religious life, and also then the. Um, Gentiles that are involved, those who are not Jewish, trying to wrestle with what it means um, to be a part of this new way as well. Um, You know, are we just, you know, uh, transplanted followers of Judaism or are we something different? You know, do we need to get circumcised or do we not? Um, Among many other things, you know, should we eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols? Take your pick. It's all over the place. And yes, that is definitely what. I think this book is about, but I think there are deeper things going on, or, or maybe I should say there's other stuff that is just as, if not more important um, as well. And I think that those questions are ones that talk about, I think the book, in the book of Acts, you see people really wrestling with questions concerning um, empire, uh, assimilation, and identity specifically i think identity as people and people groups um and people of faith but i think that's all going on too and that is all within this historical account of the beginning of the church the beginning uh, the founding of um christianity really although it wouldn't become to know, it wouldn't be called that for all, quite a while yet um but this idea of these followers of christ um yes and what does that mean but specifically what does that mean in their context, in the context of empire in the context of the diaspora so when jews had been scattered to all parts of the world basically and they are living in these other cultures you know the larger hegemonic culture of rome imperial rome and then the specific cultures within the empire that they all existed so what does it mean to be people of faith like i said in those areas and what does it mean to be in a part of this huge empire that assimilates other cultures and makes it their own? You know, what does it mean to follow Yahweh as someone who who is a subject of the of the emperor? Um, you know, I mean some people were okay with that. I mean, the Sadducees were were not super upset about the whole thing. Whereas people like the Pharisees and others and Zealots and I I, I imagine some of the other groups too they were really not wanting to be part of empire in fact they saw it as evil um you also have uh i mean the disciples themselves were res- wrestling with this same question i mean right in the very first uh chapter of the book of acts um you know we have the introduction and then immediately after that jesus appears to the disciples gives proof that he is alive right that he's raised uh, risen from the dead and then he tells them to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, right? He says, you know, John will baptize you with water, but I'll baptize you with the Spirit. And they gathered around him, and at least in terms of the text, what's the only thing they ask him? Or at least the most important thing. They may have in actuality asked other questions, sure. But in terms of whoever wrote this down for us, probably Luke, but if not Luke, whoever else it was, writes it and tells us the very first question they ask is, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? (laughs) I mean, very much questions about empire and identity and assimilation, because here they are in these in their minds under the yoke of Rome, under very much subjugated and oppressed by this evil empire. And so Jesus dies, comes back to life, shows up, proves that he's alive, and the very first thing they want to know, the only question it tells us they ask him there is, are you going to give us power again? Here we are. We're small. We're conquered, and it's you know the the history of the people of Israel has been one largely dictated by foreign empires, right? Uh, over and over again: Assyria, Babylon, um, Rome, uh, you know the Persians. The, I mean, over and over again, the people of Israel have been subject to other people, and it clearly rankles <laughs> to say the least. And so they're wanting to know: Okay, they say, God, will you? He says, Jesus, will you give us power? You know, that's the promise of the spirit, right? Is that we will have power. And Jesus says, yeah, I'll give you power, but go wait for it. And then as we later find out the power Jesus gives them, the power they receive through the Holy Spirit is not power over people, but is exactly the opposite is power to bring people together people, different people come together as one people, as the people of of Jesus, right? As the followers of the Christ, this one who uh, did everything in ways that they didn't expect. So very much questions of empire, questions of what does it mean to exist in this empire as followers of Jesus? And what does it mean to create that new identity as a follower of Jesus when we all, many of us are coming from different backgrounds, different uh, ethnicities, different geographic locations, and so on and so forth. And I th- honestly, that's one of the things I love about the Book of Acts is that over and over again, it just subverts everybody's expectations. You know, um, One person that I listened to talk about this and has written a commentary on the Book of Acts, his name is Willie Uh, Willie James Jennings, I think he's at Yale, he was at Duke also in the past, and his commentary uh, talks about how we should never forget that Axe is, in some ways, maybe even above anything else, a book about revolution. not the revolution the disciples and many of the people of Israel expected and wanted, right? Not the kind where they receive power from on high to kick out the Romans and establish the kingdom of Israel again back like they all thought that they wanted. Instead, it's a revolution of God through the Holy Spirit, giving the people the power to exist in a new identity and bringing people together when throughout their whole lives and through their current lives and through history itself they'd been exclusionary and separate right the jews didn't mix with the gentiles and certain gentiles didn't mix with other gentiles and men and women were separate and slaves and free people were separate and uh you know all kinds of other divisions it's all about division and then jesus comes along goes back to heaven sends the promised holy spirit and the spirit gives power yes but not the power over people but the power to bring people together. And that is definitely, definitely, <laughs> entirely, very much a revolution. And it's why they struggle so much over it. Because honestly, we would too, but I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um And you see this tension over and over again, right? You see Jews and Gentiles trying and failing to get along, trying and failing to see each other as uh, equal, right? At least equal in the sense of um, uh, how God views everyone and our worth to God is the same, you know, Jew or Gentile or anybody else. You see it pretty early on where there's a dispute about uh, taking care of widows and orphans and if I recall correctly, um, the Jewish widows are being taken care of by Jewish people and the Gentile widows are being taken care of by Gentiles and there was no mixing and they were refusing to mix together. And they talk about how this is a problem and can't stay that way because now they are one people of God. You see it uh, through Peter's, where Peter has the vision of the sheet, and there's all these unclean things coming down on it, and, and he hears the voice that tells him to take and eat, right? And Peter responds, I can't do that. I'm uh, God-fearing. I keep the law. I, I eat kosher, right? I do everything right, and I always have, and that's unclean, and I can't do it. And what does he hear in response? He hears, I've made it clean. Don't say what I've made clean is not clean, Right? And he does that. And then he eventually ends up eating with Gentiles, things that, by the way, he never would have eaten before. And I know, I think sometimes we miss that in that we think, oh, he's eating pork for the first time. And sure, yes. But more than that, what you eat, especially in those days, is not just about filling your belly. There's an identity marker to it, right? People's cultures in, especially in the old days the you know in the past were very much shaped by by uh being able to have food and prepare it and preserve it and so people who ate one thing were very different than people who ate another right uh people who um mostly ate fish are gonna have a very different culture than people who eat pigs and cows and sheep or whatever else um, and so, in some ways, you could even look at how uh, Peter wasn't just eating food that he hadn't before. Peter wasn't just breaking religious taboos. He was in very in in, I think, some important ways, putting on himself an identity that he had very much avoided and not accepted because it wasn't just that like it wasn't just a personal thing, like, oh, I don't eat in you know, pork or shrimp or whatever it may have been that they were feeding him, whatever unclean thing it could have been. It was also people know that I don't eat that way because I don't identify with this. I don't identify with that group of people. I'm not like them, right? I'm pure. They are impure. I am Jewish. They are Gentile, or I imagine it could go the other way too. But the idea was God is, this is a great example of that revolution that we're talking about there is that God is over and over again through the direct work of the spirit telling people that, no, you need to come together. And the power that I give you is not power to divide, is not power to conquer, but is power to come together into the people of God. But I should point out too that it's also not like that. Doesn't mean that the individual story of, say, the children of Israel or a Gentile or a man or a woman. It doesn't mean that people's stories disappear entirely or that. Um, You know, if you become a follower of Jesus, that means that, uh, for example, all of the past, um, you know, the history, the redemptive history from Adam to Moses to David to and on and on, that didn't disappear. Because what you find is that even the Gentiles are coming to understand their new faith in Christ through things they learn about stuff that happened in the history of the people of Israel, right? So and over and over again, you see in the book of Acts, them tying the things that happen to the history of the people of Israel. And that wasn't just to justify it or make it presentable to Jewish people. Although I think it was that I think very much it had to be that Um, because, I mean, if you think of it otherwise on the face of it, it's a pretty somewhat crazy thing, right? Here's these people showing up who followed this guy, this teacher, this rabbi, this Jesus of Nazareth, who, by the way, they all saw die. (laughs) And now they're coming up and saying, no, no, he's back to life and we have to change everything. And all this faith that's been around for thousands of years that started with, you know, Adam and Moses and Adam and Abraham and Moses and all this thing, all of that is now something different and being interpreted through this man, Jesus of Nazareth. It's, yeah, I mean, that would be hard to accept on, on just on the face of it. But what you see is God's restlessness to accept the way things are. And through the direct actions of the Spirit over and over again, you see um, God bringing these people together in a way that brings a story of all these disparate peoples together, but also recognizes the stories that are there. In a way, I guess you could say that, um, what's the best way to say this? I guess you could say that one of the ways that God brings disparate peoples together is that they learn each other's stories. It doesn't mean that uh, this You know, uh, Cornelius's story as a Gentile disappears, or that Peter's story as the one who goes and eats with them disappears. It means that they learn each other's stories and then tell those stories together and afterwards exist as something different. Still distinct in that Peter was still a Jew, (laughs) Cornelius was still not a Jew, and that's distinct and important about them. And yet their stories, while different, become joined together in a way that I don't think so much as assimilation as much as is that idea like we talk about, have, have talked about in the past about like like a quilt. You have one new thing that is big and together and wasn't there before, but each patch of that quilt is usually not the same thing, right? I think then it's just a blanket if it's, <laughs> I don't know. But I'm just saying most quilts are not one shade of you know beige or green or whatever it is. They're usually patterns and each square is different and yet they're all important in making what is what is whole. And so over and over again, you see this way that the spirit uh, or God, through the direct actions of the spirit, is uh, causing these somewhat, sometimes many, but usually large revolutions, and what happens as a result is people who were separate come together, and stories that were separate are given voice to each other and and. Jews learn the Gentile story and Gentiles learn the, Jew, the Jewish story. And from there, they become the people of God who now have to interpret their story together, recognizing their history and their past, but also figuring out the new way forward. What does it mean to be the followers of Christ? What does it mean to be much, much later? We would Now we would think of them as Christians, even though they wouldn't have called themselves that. So when you read the book of Acts, I I would just encourage you to ask yourself two questions. And I think uh, pretty much every chapter or, you know, you'll find that they give you something to think about. And so the first is when you read a chapter of the book of Acts, or if it's a a larger story that goes through more than one chapter, when you read a a particular narrative section, I think this is something I learned. And this is also something that... um, uh, Dr. Jennings, that I talked about earlier, brings up again in his commentary. But um, first question to ask in this particular story, section of the story that I'm reading, what is God doing through the Spirit? Okay. Often you'll see uh, the Spirit speaking or acting directly, right? Uh, chapter two is a pretty great example. <laughs> um, they're waiting in the upper room like God told them. Sounds to me like they were probably waiting for, you know, power that they thought was going to be. Um, you know, somehow give them the ability to go on a warpath and drive out the Romans. Well, the Spirit shows up. There's tongues of fire. There's uh, rushing wind. There's speaking in tongues, and all these different peoples are hearing it. By the way, this chapter 2 is Perhaps you know the best example of what we're talking about, because what, what happens is you have all these different groups of people who are there, and they hear the disciples, the people in the upper room speaking their own languages about how great God is. And why does that happen? You know It happens because it brings new people together. It creates this revolution, like I said, of people who don't belong together now coming together to worship God in a way that they have not. You also see it in things like where Philip tries to go one way and the spirit, tell, like the spirit directs them to go a different way, directs him to go a different way, and he ends up with the Ethiopian eunuch, which is, I think that's in chapter 8, right? I think it's chapter 8. That's not something that should have happened. Uh, he wanted to go a different way. Uh, if he had, he would not have met this person. The eunuch was not someone that a, uh, you know, a a God-fearing Jewish person, um, Torah-observing, kosher-keeping would have necessarily ever interacted with because he was a eunuch. He was not uh, whole in the way that they viewed it because of what was done to him at birth um, or some point in his life. He was from Ethiopia, so he was from kind of the idea of the ends of the earth, you know. Um, He wasn't you know, he he was about as different as it gets. And yet Philip goes because the spirit sends him directly to the eunuch. And what happens is these two stories come together. So Philip hears the story of the eunuch. The eunuch uh, hears the story that they read together from the scroll of Isaiah. And what happens to Philip? Philip ends up getting, or sorry, what happens to the eunuch? He ends up getting baptized coming to faith in Jesus and being a part of this new family that we've been talking about. I mean, yeah. So what do you see the spirit of God doing in the text? And the second question is, what is someone being asked to do that they really don't want to do? Because in all of these stories that I've mentioned, I think you see that same thing too. These many and sometimes much larger revolutions that the spirit is causing this, uh the direct actions of the spirit that you see when you ask that first question is that generally speaking, people don't want to do it. You know, uh, like I said, Philip wanted to go a different way. Uh, When God tells Ananias to go pray for Saul, right? Ananias' response is, no, 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 no. I don't want to do that. Don't you know who this person is? This is the one who's been ravaging the church been killing us, putting us in prison, all this stuff. They don't want to do it. Uh when Peter sees the vision, right, what does he say? I'm not doing that. I can't eat that stuff. It's not allowed. I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm too good for that or whatever else. However, he may have said that yet spirit is telling them to telling him to do it anyway. I mean, over and over again, the spirit is asking people to do things that they do not want to do, because this kind of revolution that we're talking about is not the natural way we do things. Humans, I mean. We like to segregate ourselves. We stay with people who are like us, who talk like us, who think like us, who eat like us, uh, who look like us, right? That's what we do. We, We stay in our groups, in our religions, in our understandings of things, and we don't mix them. Yet the Holy Spirit comes along because God is not content to leave things that way. God is restoring uh, us to be together as one people of God, while still recognizing everything that makes us unique and distinct. But we really don't want to do it. We really struggle with that. We say, God, that's not how things are work. We say, God, that's not how we've done it before. We say, God, those people don't deserve it. Or... Um, I'm too busy or whatever else it may be. So those two questions again, just as you read through any part of the book of Acts, what do we see the spirit of God doing often directly in the words of the text? Sometimes maybe more inferred, but almost, or I should say very often you'll see, and the spirit told them to, or I think, isn't it Philip that gets sucked up, you know, in the kind of a whirlwind and go somewhere else or maybe I'm remembering that wrong, but that happens to somebody over and over again. You see the spirit doing direct things in the lives of people. So what is it that you see that the spirit is doing? And what is someone being asked to do that they really don't want to do? And I think when you look at it that way, you may see some new things, some things you haven't before. So just kind of to to wrap things up, I guess the question is why do this, right? What does this mean for us? Well, You know, it's been a long time since those things were written. It's been a long time since those things happened, you know, um, and yet some of the very same questions I think still apply. We still wrestle with questions of empire. It's not Rome anymore, but I mean, the people who are listening to this in the U.S. anyway exist in, I think the most powerful empire that has ever existed on earth at least in terms of well no i think that's fair to say militarily economically um all of it right we still exist in this all-encompassing empire and and if you've listened to this podcast at all or honestly if you haven't this is your first one and you just live here it doesn't take a lot i think to to realize how much living in that empire affects everything we do from our daily lives to our identities and how we view those and certainly how we live as followers of Jesus. It's still the same question, it just looks different. you know. We're still wrestling with questions of assimilation. What does it mean to be followers of Jesus in empire? And what is the role that we should have in empire? I mean, aren't we still asking, God is now the time, time you're gonna restore the kingdom to America, Israel? <laughs> All right. We still ask those questions. We think, you know, how many times have people said, oh, we just need to bring this nation back to its Christian history, which historically speaking is silly, but it's the same kind of question the disciples are asking, right? We, wanna, we want things to be different. We want to take back the nation for Jesus is the kind of stuff I used to hear. And yet, I think what we're missing is we're asking for power over people when God, through the Spirit, wants to give us power to bring people together, not to dominate them, not to um, subsume others' identities into our own. We still ask those same questions. So while there's been a lot of time and there's been a lot of difference, it's also not that different. The bridge between what we read and what we experience is very long and also very short. And I think it helps us to when we look at those questions and any others. I mean, gosh, it, look around in our world and specifically the United States. Uh, we still segregate ourselves. In fact, we may live in one of the most segregated existences ever. You know, I, I think we do. Look at how how we live. So we're still asking the same questions. We're still wrestling with, well, but those people don't belong here. Or we're not they're not as good as us or that's not how we've done things in the past or what do you mean i have to be uh in the same family as this group of people or that person or that type of person or you know whatever else it might be there it's really not that different but it looks different but i don't think it's that different at its core and i guess the last question is it's a great way to think about what god wants for us you know, that that same guy, I've quoted him a few times, um, Dr. Jennings, he said, you know, people always say that the hardest thing is we don't know what God wants. We don't know what God wants. What is God's will for us? And, you know, <laughs> we know what God wants. At least we know what God wants on things like this. We know what God wants in the big things. We know that God wants people to uh, come together um, as followers of Christ. We know that God wants to form a new identity for folks while still recognizing the differences and uniqueness and beauty of different cultures and languages and all of those things, we don't, he says, we don't really struggle with what God wants. What we struggle with is following the leading of the spirit and doing what God wants, because it's almost always something we don't want to do. And I almost had to pull over the car today when he said that because it's so damn true, right? It is so true. I'm not saying I always know what God wants. I don't. But on the big things, on the questions like this, oh, I know what God wants. We know what God wants, you know? We know that God wants us to love God and love people, and we know that we're supposed to do it in ways we don't want to do it because our natural tendency is to segregate ourselves and be separate and be different and you know we know what god wants we really do and the struggle is will we submit to what god wants and actually try to do it because the best thing about what acts teaches us is that we have power right we're not just uh we're not just waking up and saying i'm gonna do this through my own strength or through my own power because We've all tried that before and, you know, in some things maybe it helps a little, but generally speaking, we don't get too far. Well, the good news is the gospel is we have power through the Holy Spirit because God is not content to leave things as they are, but instead God is looking to start a revolution or to continue the revolution, I should say, rather than start a new one. It may be new to us, but it's been the same one God has been doing the entire time. So I hope that that is helpful to you. Um, I hope it maybe makes you think about some things in ways you haven't before. But uh, I just would encourage you to engage with the book of Acts again, regardless of how many times you have before. I'm gonna start again myself, just because of how this has all made me think. And yeah, use those two questions if they're helpful. But regardless, I just want to thank you for listening today and being with us um, as we adjust some schedules and stuff in this busy time of year. And I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. And uh, yeah, let's look for that, how we can be part of that revolution that the Spirit is causing in our hearts and everyone's hearts, and how we can uh, use that power, not power over people, but power to be together with others. Because then you know what's coming because then I think it will be okay. I think that it's going to be okay because God will take care of us.